All right. Hey, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. And if you have one of the borrowed Bibles, the little black ones we have in the back, it's on page 607 and 608. Uh, so you can find it quickly. I know sometimes if you're new to the Bible, it's hard to orient yourself. Um, well, let's pray as we get into our time studying the Lord's peace. Father, thank you for this time in your word as a church family. Thank you for Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Father, sometimes it's so hard for us to even know what peace is in the midst of the busy lives that we lead, in the midst of the chaos that we see in the world around us, in the midst of our frustrations and difficulties and deferred hopes. And so today, God, would you expose peace to us? Would you help us see that it's greater than our expectations and maybe even our desires? And Lord, would you be moving us to a place of peace with you? within ourselves, and to be living peace in the world around us. Lord, would your word be great? Would I be small? And would Jesus be above all in this time? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As you've probably picked up, the theme for today is peace. Uh, I hope you've gathered that. If not, check your pacemaker and get another cup of coffee. Um, I got the second one, no pacemaker yet. Uh, second one for you back there. That's good. So um, too often our expectations of peace fall short. How many of you have seen peace accords happen in the course of your life around the world? What does peace accord mean now? It means we're not going to fight anymore, right? It doesn't mean let's be friends. It doesn't mean let's thrive together. It just means let's not destroy each other. Say that again. That's right. You stay on your side of the fence. I will, Andy. Thanks. Um, yeah. The world drastically changed in the 20th century. The 20th century was not a century of peace, but a century of war. When the First World War was fought, all of the nations thought this war is so great, the cost is so high. Surely this will be the war to end all wars. Far from it. It seems like it was the war that started war forevermore. The nation has not, the world has not known peace for a century. A century of a lack of peace. Constant wars, constant fighting, constant violence. And that takes a, soul, a toll on our souls individually and collectively. We turn on the news and what do we anticipate? Violence and war and difficulty. When you check in with yourself and you journal, do you find yourself journaling about peace? Do you find yourself connecting with places where there's a holy pause and thriving? Or are you working out your own striving and struggles? I know for me personally, the second one happens far more often than the first. But what's interesting is just as the soul needs hope to live, the soul needs peace to thrive. You need peace to be able to prosper. Last summer, we planted gardens in the hopes of great produce coming. But if you were a gardener last summer, something went wrong. What happened? It was cold, and it was wet, and there wasn't enough sunlight. And so even the, though the ingredients for life were there in your gardens, was there life blooming in your garden? No, there was like rot and slugs and moisture, and your garden couldn't thrive. When you lack peace, it's like your soul lacks the sunlight, it lacks what you need to grow and thrive. And you get weighed down, and you get heavy, and you get crushed. How many of you find yourselves ready for bed at like 
6 p.m. when your normal bedtime is 7 p.m. inside, right? Or 10 p.m. Yeah, I know. What is this winter junk, right? I'm feeling that. Yesterday, I turned on the interior lights, all of them, at 4.05. I was like, man, I'm, I'm fighting the dark today. Advent brings us into a season of reflection. Today, we're reflecting on peace and our deep need of it. But praise the Lord. God knows that we need peace if we're going to thrive. And so he's leading us to the person of peace, the prince of peace, so that it may be well in our souls. So the big idea today is when you live in peace, you will prosper. Specifically, this is your soul prospering. Too often we think of prospering as external prospering. I can go where I want, I can buy what I want, I can do what I want. That's not prospering, that's privilege. Prospering is an internal condition of being well in your soul. And that's what the Lord wants for you. But let's read Isaiah 9, 6 through 7 together and get into the Lord's study for us about peace. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. Amen. You were created to thrive in peace with God. Do you know that? That's one of the things that you were created for to be in a relationship with God that is filled with peace. And in being filled with peace, it is life-giving to you. The world tells us a story about our beginnings. It says that sometime billions and billions of years ago, there was this giant bang and this release of energy into the cosmos. And into this swirling release of energy, there was matter and there was movement and there were particles colliding and some of these particles hung together and then soon there were stellar bodies being formed and stars and planets were spinning wildly out into the universe with heat and light propelling them all the more And then over billions of years, planets and stars began to rotate around each other and with each other. And soon alignment was brought and soon we had solar systems and galaxies. And so the earth orbits the sun. And on that earth, there were different elements. And they began to form the different things that we know, water and rock. And soon there were these little protein chains, these amino acids And some of them got together, and there was friction, maybe some lightning, and all of a sudden there was life on earth. One cell. Then over the course of billions and billions of years, with the perfect odds happening over and over again, better than the mobs in Vegas can coordinate things, life began to spread across the face of the earth. First single cells, then algae clusters, then life. Soon there were fish, and then fish crawled out of the water. They formed birds and chickens and lizards and beavers. And some of those became flowers. The hippies were right. I mean, it's pretty cool, right? All life formed from one thing. But I'm making a joke because it seems preposterous to me in my scientific mind that we would believe in so much chance. The Bible tells a different story about our creation. It says the Lord 
was over the cosmos. And he saw that it was empty. He saw that it was without order, that it lacked his wisdom and goodness and love. And so he created and he spoke and there was light. And he continued to create. He created the earth and the stars. He created water. He created trees and plants and flowers. And he put everything in its right place. And he looked at his creation. He saw that it was good. He did this over the course of just one week. Best general contractor you could ever hire, right? (laughs) Didn't just build the shed in the week. Built everything that ever was and will be. And then he formed man out of the dust of the ground. And he breathed his life into man. And he had a peaceful, life-giving relationship with man. He placed man and woman in the perfect place, the Garden of Eden, which means paradise or pleasure, meaning they only knew peace, they only knew pleasure. And every day, the Lord would enter the garden and walk with them and talk with them. And there was peace and there was thriving for their souls. Do you have people who show up into your life? They just come to the door and they can walk right in. And when they do, you're not anxious you're not afraid. You're so glad that they're at home with you in your home. Do you have people that you can walk into their life and experience that same thing? You know those handful of people when the phone rings, instead of anxiety, you're quick to answer it because you can't wait to talk with them? That was the Lord for Adam and Eve. They were BFFs. They were best friends forever. They knew each other deeply, and there was only goodness. There was only peace, and there was thriving in that peace in a way that you and I can hardly imagine the goodness of that thriving. I think our best moments in life don't compare to the best moments in the Garden of Eden, and they don't compare to the best moments that we'll experience for all eternity with Christ, amen? You and I were created to live in that relationship of peace, that environment of peace that springs from that relationship. But if you know the story, you know that the peace didn't remain because the peace was broken. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, to go their own way, to do their own thing. And in that, they didn't realize it, but they were declaring war between God and man. They were saying, we don't need to obey you, God. We're going to do things our own way, not your way. Any of you have kids? Ever feel like your kid's disobedience is an act of declaration of war against you, right? You're like, okay, I want you to play nicely with each other. And then the next thing you know, one of them has a Lego in the hand, their hand and the other one has that kid's hair in their hand. You're like, when did we start warring? I thought we were building a, a block structure here, right? But now we're, we're building a war in our household. The same thing befell all of creation when Adam and Eve sinned. One moment there was peace reigning over all the earth and prosperity. The next moment there was war. It impacted the world so much that in Romans 8, it says all creation is groaning for redemption, for peace and thriving again. Because under the system of sin, there's a lack of peace. And by the way, that's the system that covers the world. If you've never heard this before, it probably sounds strange, but the Bible says that the world lives in sin and that we were born into sin. And what that does, that doesn't mean that you're born terrible. It means that you're born into a system that is at war with God rebelling against him, doing its own thing in its own way. That's the way that we're all born. Some of us don't realize that. Looking back, I can see that in my life. When I was 16, I was a rebel without a cause. Anybody else have a rebel without a cause mentality, right? You're like, I don't know what rule I'm going to break today, but I'm going to break a rule because I can, right? It's my right to break the rules. And it felt like when I was young, that was why rules were there. I embraced the slogan, rules were made to be broken, 
I will show you that I don't have to follow your rules and I will be just fine and so will you because your rules are stupid and I'm smarter than them. I know, I was a pretty prideful kid, right? I feel bad for the people that I had to rub shoulders with at that point in time. But God wants you to not have that rebellion in your hearts. He wants you to have peace over the things that you're facing. You were made to thrive in peace with God. The passage today tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want to read this passage again to you so that you can hear it and know its goodness in the midst of what we're talking about today. Isaiah says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. And this might sound like an odd solution to the world's problems. Will one more baby make the world a better place? I mean, in the face of everything that's going on in the world, do we need another child? How many of you have run into people or thought yourself, I don't know that I want to raise a child in this world? It's so chaotic. It's so difficult. I've had people tell me, I don't know how you're raising your kids in today's world. It's just so terrible compared to the world that I lived in growing up. There's no freedom. There's no safety. It seems like all the goodness is gone. Now, I know that's not true because I'm raising my kids and I see a lot of goodness. And I know that there's a way to create freedom and safety for your children. But you guys probably remember days when you ran around the whole neighborhood and you didn't have to fear any adult or worry what was going to happen to you because everybody looked out for everybody else. So we live in a world where we now expect violence. We expect destruction and decay. Isaiah was speaking into that world. He was saying there will be no more war. There will be no more fear. There will be no more famine because there's going to be a child born to us. It doesn't feel like a child is going to be able to deal with famine and war, destruction, anxiety, fear. But this child will. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And we can have hope because the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. When we talk about Jesus as the Prince of Peace, too often Jesus stays this little baby swaddled in a manger in the middle of nowhere 2,000 years ago. But when Isaiah announced this, he wasn't just talking about a baby being born. He was talking about a king being born. Did you catch that? And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he'll be able to bear that yoke. It will not crush him. It will not destroy him. He will actually do it in a way that serves and blesses, not for his own good, but for our good. And so there are four titles given to Jesus in this prophecy, in this poem. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal or Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. When's the last time you remember hoping to hear the president speak because he was going to share counsel that would change the world, that would bring blessing to the ears of those who hear? It's been a while, hasn't it? Jesus spoke and blessed. To hear his words was to hear wisdom, to find out about love. And when I read the words of Jesus, there are two things that typically happen. One, confusion. What does this even mean, Lord? Right? And so I press in and I think and I say, Lord, can you explain to me what Jesus is saying? And the next, peace and goodness. Lord, I want to hear more. I want to be thinking about these statements that Jesus just made because they're blessing me and they're growing me. Jesus had a reputation. When he spoke, people wanted to hear more. 
In Mark chapter 1, it says that after he taught in the synagogues, people said, he doesn't teach like the other teachers. He has true authority, and his words are different, and I just want to hear more of his words. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. It's fantastic to me that Jesus doesn't need counsel from anybody else. He doesn't need a cabinet of advisors to guide him. Isaiah says this later, who are we to give counsel to the Lord? This is the thing that Job wrestles with. And the Lord says, where were you when the earth was founded? Can you measure the ocean by the span of your hands? Can you hold all of existence in your palm? Were you there when I set the pillars of the universe, the foundations of it in wisdom and love? No, Joel, you weren't. You don't know how this works, how this operates. But Jesus does. I love the song that Joel and the team led us in. The one who created the stars is lying in a manger, waiting to do awesome things for God to bring about the salvation of all of mankind. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, and his words bring goodness and peace. Jesus is mighty God, mighty God. Isn't that awesome? You know, Caesar, every time there was a Caesar, the king of Rome, the emperor of Rome, you know what they would eventually do? They would declare themselves God. They would have temples erected in their honor. They wanted to be in the place of God most high. They felt like they were the king of the conquered world, and therefore everyone should praise them because they will be eternally remembered as good, as people who provided. Were the Caesars good men? Did they gain their power by goodness and love? No. There was twisting and manipulation and fear and darkness every step of the way through the Roman Empire. People in power often want to be praised. They want their name to be raised up highly above all else. But this ruler, this child, is mighty God. This ruler is to be praised. Eternal Father. What does a good father do? protects, provides, gives identity and blessing, makes a way and a future for his kids, an inheritance so there's prosperity in the future. This son will be like the eternal father of all. It's amazing and awesome, these words that are spoken about Jesus almost 800 years before he was born, and then finally, the prince of peace. Too often we think of princes according to the world of Disney. Who was the bad guy in Robin Hood? You know, the animated classic with the fox and the bears and the chickens? Prince John, right? And so what is a prince? A person who doesn't really have power, who wants power, who's waiting to come into power. The young prince who's in training, right? Or the old prince who never got to be the ruler, the king. We need to correct that thinking of prince, princehood, <laughs> Jesus is the Prince of Peace, is the one who is promised to bring peace. He's the hope of peace in the future. He's the one you want to have reigning so that you might have peace in your life. But all of these titles, all of these titles point to one who will rule. Jesus' rule and reign brings peace. Without the rule and reign of Jesus, we have no real hope of peace. We just are stuck with ceasefires. We're just stuck with you stay on your side of the fence, as our friend Andy pointed out. 
and I will stay on mine because that is our best hope of peace. But if you let Jesus rule and reign in your life, you can and will find peace. I want to talk to you about a few steps of finding this peace. The first step to living in peace is to find peace with God personally for yourself. The first step of living in peace is to find peace with God. A few minutes ago, I said that we were all born into this world that is at enmity with God, that's hostile to God. In Ephesians and in Corinthians, Paul says that we were hostile to God. We were at war with him. In Corinthians, it actually says that because we are hostile to God, we cannot understand the things of God because his thinking and his ways don't make sense to us. It's like he's speaking a foreign language to us, and it's hard for us to understand. But then it says that we're not stuck in that place of animosity. It says even though we were enemies with God, God wanted to make peace with us, and so he sent his son to die for us. In the story of Jesus' birth and raising, there's this part in the book of Luke where Jesus is eight days old and they're taking him to the temple in Jerusalem to be dedicated and to be named. Jewish kids didn't have a name for eight days. They were praying and waiting on the Lord to give them a name, but not in this case. They already knew the name of the son that was given. And so they were there at the temple and there was a man named Simeon. And the Lord had told Simeon that Simeon was going to see the Messiah before he died. And so Simeon's job as a retired man in Israel was to go to the temple every day and to wait on the Lord to bring his Messiah, his anointed one, the one who would deliver Israel. And Jesus and his family walk in and Simeon sees them and he knows that this couple is carrying the king of the universe. He knows that this child is the savior of Israel and all mankind. And so he walks up and he starts speaking words of prophecy and blessing over this family. So Simeon says this, he says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. That's Luke 2, 29 through 32. Simeon is ready to be dismissed in peace. In other words, he's saying, Lord, bring me home. You know, he's not saying, I don't have a job anymore. He says, Lord, you promised that before I die, before I'm with you eternally, I will see the Savior. And I have seen him today. I have seen your salvation. And so now I have peace. Salvation is the first step of peace in your life. Salvation looks like saying, Lord, I don't want to be at war with you anymore. I don't want to do my life my own way. I don't want to be responsible for carrying the weight of my salvation. I know my works can't get me into heaven. I know that Jesus is the only way. So I want to put my faith in him. I trust in him today to make peace between you and I. I want to walk with you and I want to know you. If you haven't done that today, I would encourage you to put your faith in Jesus to make peace with God. Anybody watch Western movies growing up? You ever see that part in the movie where they're like, are you prepared to meet your maker? Do you have peace with God? As a kid, I was always like, what does that even mean? 
Why are they telling them to be prepared to meet their maker? It's so weird. It's so cliche. What do they mean peace with God? How are you supposed to make peace with God? He's not there in the room. You're about to shoot the guy. How is he supposed to have peace at that point in time? That doesn't work, right? But now, on this side of my story of salvation, I realize that they're basically giving a warning. If you don't know that you're going to have eternal life when these eyes close for the final time, now is the time to find eternal life. And the only way to find that is to make peace with God. And that sounds weird because so many of us feel like, I don't need peace with anybody. I'm not the source of the problem. It's all the people around us. But the Lord says, no, it's all the individual people, you included, that's causing the lack of peace. You're not in a state of living for me and from me, and so you can't have peace. But I'm ready to change that. If you will listen today, the Lord is offering you peace. And all you have to do is show up to the table, if you will, as a metaphor, and say, yes, Lord, I want to have peace with you. And then what's crazy is that you're no longer at war with the Prince of Peace. Instead, you're on his 